0: So glad, and I'm very thankful to see you all, just as we um, are glad to gather, as the elders talked and discussed that, you know, the last thing we wanted to do was to shut the church, but we're so grateful that we can gather masks and all. I'd say it's, I'm glad to see your smiling faces, but I'll take the eyes instead, so thank you for that. Um, It is an awesome thing and privilege that we have even under normal circumstances for us to praise God and to gather. And for that, we're grateful. But even now in the midst of this time, COVID, political upheaval, all the more that we are grateful that we can gather and praise him. On a personal note, I want to thank you all, Ventura, for your love and care uh, your prayers, your texts, your emails, your food, your grocery trips for Amy and I. Um, just a quick update. She's doing well. Still a little black and blue, a little sore. But uh, thank you all. We're very grateful to, uh, to each of you. And that's just a great thing to have a body that cares for one another. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's not that common sometimes, you know. Um, So, as as David mentioned, we are heading into a season of Thanksgiving, supposedly, right? Um, I don't mind you, but I'm grateful that our government somehow has decided that we should have time off to say thanks. I, I think we as believers know that that's not the only time that we should do it. Um, But yet, we should rejoice that we have the opportunity to be a witness to our watching world of what it actually really means to give thanks. And having said that, I don't want to spend much of my time this morning boring you with trivial Thanksgiving doodads, because I'm sure that you already know the fact that we consume 50 million pumpkin pies over this weekend. And it probably would bore you to know that there are 46 million turkeys that are prepared over Thanksgiving. But I would bet you didn't know, and this is a little tidbit that I read on the internet, so therefore it must be true, <laughs> that we have Thanksgiving to thank for TV dinners. In 1953... A person that worked for Swanson accidentally ordered an obnoxious, obsessive, excessive amount of turkey. And they didn't know what to do with it. And his sales guy, who had just came back from a flight, as I read on the internet, noticed that they wrapped their food in these little tinfoil plates. So he said, why don't we just put all that? Excessive turkey on the plates. We'll just prop some gravy and and some mashed potatoes and some dressing. TV dinners. Okay, so we got the humor out of the way to start with. Um, With that, we're going to transition a little bit. Um, We want to continue this theme, though, however, of Thanksgiving and what that word really means. Last week, Timothy challenged us. That it is the will of God that we rejoice always and that we give thanks in all circumstances. When? Always. Why? And the case that Timothy brought out was because, as he told us, the word Eucharist, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to turn to the Old Testament. So if you would, either open up your Bibles in written form or electronic and join me over at Psalm 106. Now, to understand Psalm 106, we have to look at Psalm 105 and Psalm 107. These three Psalms are a trio of Thanksgiving Psalms. They are of the historic genre, meaning uh, they're written to describe the history and of the people of Israel. Um, why Psalm 105 and 106 are actually in Book 4 of the Psalms and Psalm 107 is in Book 5, I'm not sure that we really know. But Psalm 105, the primary focus of Psalm 105 is it tells us um, each one of the, excuse me, each one of them, Psalm 105, 106, and 107, they start with, oh give thanks. And Psalm 105 says, give thanks, make known his wondrous deeds to the people, sing. And then it goes on and uses words like God did, he sent, he moved, he turned. So Psalm 105 is a glorious psalm about all the wondrous things that God has done. And I don't know about you, but I find it's very, it's much easier for me to praise under Psalm 105, there's wondrous things that he's done. On the other side, Psalm 107, similar in vain to 105, talks about more of what God has done to us as a people. Some have wandered, it says. Some were imprisoned. Some were just merchants. And then it says, let the redeemed say so. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love to the children of men. So Psalm 107 kind of focuses on our redemption and who we are as a people. And Psalm 105 talks about the wondrous things that he's done. Psalm 106, right in the middle. Give thanks for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And he ends, he starts the psalm with praise the Lord. He ends the psalm with praise the Lord. And then there are 39 verses in between of corporate confession. Happy Thanksgiving. I, I, I was a little confused when I read that, when I came off of 105 and 107 of where that's going to take us. Psalm 106, it starts kind of with the structure of praise Petition, confession, petition, and praise. The time frame is a little bit uncertain. It starts at the Exodus. Uh, some commentators say that it ends at the exile or it includes the exile. Other commentators say that it actually starts at the Exodus and goes to the time of David and when other nations are continuing to invade and, and, and do all that. Depending upon how you answer that or depending upon your thought will kind of lead you to who you might believe the author to be. If you believe it goes to past the exile you would think maybe Ezra wrote it um, or the other half of the commentators seem to think that David wrote it. I tend to fall in that camp that David wrote and the reason I do is because some of the phrase specifically oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever is repeated and portions of the end of the psalm are repeated by David in 1 Chronicle, word for word. So as we enter into Psalm 106, Psalm 105, make his wonders known indeed, be thankful. Psalm 107, we are redeemed. Psalm 106, we are to give thanks to our faithful God who is faithful to a very depraved, sinful and unfaithful people. Psalm 106, we are to be grateful for the Lord's faithfulness to us as unfaithful people. So turn with me. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His love endures forever. I noticed in my notes that I punctuated that the way that I just read it. I put a period at the end of that. If you notice in the psalm, it's an exclamation point. This word, oh, oh, give thanks. It's a cry. It's an exclaim. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for steadfast love endures forever. I often read it, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. I kind of trail off at the end, like that's not. So what are we supposed to do? It's obvious in one sense that we are to give thanks. This phrase, oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever, is repeated throughout the Old Testament multiple places. First Chronicles 16, 8 and verse 34, David at the return of the ark. Psalm 118, 1, and verse 29 as well, repeated the exact same way. Other areas of the Old Testament highlight that we are to give thanks. I know that some of you know this, and, and I knew it too, but I'm thankful that God uses his word to remind us of things that we may have forgotten. First Chronicles 16, there were portions of the levites who their job was solely to give praise and thanks 2nd chronicles 7 it states that the instruments made by david were to give thanks the purpose of those instruments nehemiah 12 the levites and the brothers were in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. It was that important. Daniel 6, we all know the story. When, he, when the decree went out, Daniel went up to his room, and while we not given insight into all the things that he prayed, he gave thanks. Psalm 136, verses 1, 2, 3, and 26. Repeat this phrase. Give thanks to And then it says, give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for he is good. Lest we forget the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5, as we talked about last week. Give thanks in all circumstances. Ephesians 5, 20. Always and in everything, give thanks. Colossians 3. Do everything giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, be established in the faith as taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Jesus and Paul rebuked those who were not thankful. And the story of the ten lepers that Jesus healed, one returned to give him thanks. Where were the other nine? Romans 1, 21 Paul states in that chapter that they were without excuse and they did not give thanks to him. So it is clear that we are to give thanks. To give thanks to who? I don't know about you, but how often I have said the words, I'm, I'm thankful that I have a job. I'm thankful that Amy is safe. I'm thankful for the food. And when I talk to people who don't acknowledge God or who do not know Jesus Christ, i got to wonder who they are thanking. I I don't understand. I, I understand we're supposed to thank one another, and that gives us an object, but we are told here that we are to give thanks to the Lord. So I came up and I had to understand why are we to give thanks? As I looked through this chapter and I came up just three things. Number one, we are to give thanks for who God is. Number two, we are to give thanks for who we are. I don't mean that in a positive way. And number three, we are to give thanks because of God and who he is again. So let's turn and look for who God is. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 25, 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Ezra 3. During the rebuilding of the temple, he is good. Nahum 1.7, in the midst of his oncoming judgment, God is good. Matthew 19 or Luke 18, Jesus himself says, there's no one who's good. Why do you call me good? There's no one who's good but God. And then contrary to God, Romans 3 clearly articulates that we are not good. We are not God. No one does good, not even one. The word for good is often used to describe the word kindness, grace, mercy are all kind of entwined with that word. Romans 2, 4, it is to the kindness that leads us to repentance. It's unfortunate we often use this word good and we take the default mediocre word, how was your day? Good. What'd you learn today? Good. How was school? Good. Good. We forget that this word good describes both the very nature of God and his actions to us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Lamentations 3, the love of the Lord never ceases and therefore I have hope, I remind myself of that. Psalm 25 again, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love. Exodus 34, 6, when God passed in front of Moses, one of the things he specifically said about himself is abounding in steadfast love. Isaiah 54, the mountains may move, but my steadfast love will never depart. Micah 7, 8, he does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in his steadfast love. He does... God's love is not pampering. He just doesn't put up with it. He delights in his steadfast love for us. When I was looking at this, I, in my mind, I was describing this as two words, steadfast and love. In the Hebrew, it's actually one word, Has said, It is his covenant-keeping, redeeming love. This is much contrary to our use of love, of I love the bears I love football I love food this is steadfast love of God If we look in verse 2 it goes on to say who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare his praise The answer there is no one obviously but as this describes God is because his works are too numerous They're too wonderful they're too holy we cannot describe those Because of God we are to thank and be thankful Because of who God is. That would be a great place for the psalm to end. Psalm 106 verse 6. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Happy Thanksgiving. This psalm, amongst a lot of psalms, is a corporate, public, audible. They were told to sing psalms. I'm not sure how you would do that on this one, but they were told to. Ezra 9, in his public profession, We have been in great guilt. Nehemiah 1, even I and my house have sinned. Jeremiah 3, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. Daniel 9, we have sinned. There's something about corporate prayer and confession. Now truthfully I'll tell you that until I came to Ventura corporate confession and lament was not something that I saw in the churches that we attended. It was not Consistent, we might have a night of it once in a while. I am so grateful for this church and the leadings of the elders and the pastors at that time to implement that. That this is a time for us as a church body. Corporate confession and lament, it gives us a space for us to grieve over not only our sin, but our sin. Corporate confession is not the time to go, boy, Lord, I'm I'm so glad... You know, when David's up there praying or Ben's up there praying, I sure hope that person over there is listening. It engages our emotions, our heart, and our mind, and our soul with God as we corporately confess and lament and put our trust in God. So the psalmist now takes us through, again, 39 verses of confession. And for some of you in... The discipleship groups will kind of understand my vernacular here, so he does a couple things. First, he confesses their actions. He then gives us a little bit of insight into their motives and what their heart is and what they're actually thinking. And at the end, we confess the hope that they have. Matthew Henry uh, tells us, and says, Now, let's take notice of their strange stupidity thought that was kind of interesting and unfortunately describes me often. Now let's take notice of the strange stupidity. Verse 7, they rebelled at the Red Sea after God rescued them and plundered Egypt, and then they rebelled at the Red Sea. Verses 19 and 20, they set up a gold calf. All these stories we're familiar with, but good for review. Verse 14 and 15, they had a wanton craving in the wilderness. They were not satisfied with the manna that was supernaturally, divinely provided. So he gave them meat out their nostrils and gave them a plague. Verses 16 and 17. The men in the camp were jealous of Moses, the Holy One of the Lord. The earth opened, swallowed up Bathan, and covered up the company. Verse 28. They yoked themselves to the bell of And eight sacrifices offered to the dead. Verse 32, they angered God over water. Verse 34, they did not destroy the people God commanded. Verses 24 and 25, God brought them to the precipice of the promised land, the culmination of his work there, and they refused to cross into it. Verse 35, They integrated into the pagan society and conformed to the worship practices and learned to do as they did. And then verse 36, 38. They sacrificed their children. Now the scripture here also gives us a little bit of insight as to the idols of their hearts and their minds. Verse 7. They did not consider your wondrous work They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. Verse 14, there was a wanton craving, a lust. Verse 16, they were jealous. Verse 13, but they soon forgot their works after he saved them. Verse 20 and 28, they sought out other gods to do only the thing that God could do. They did not wait for his counsel, verse 13. Verse 24, they had no faith in his promise. In verse 14, they put God to the test. As we look at this corporate confession, they not only confessed what they actually did, but their hearts and their false beliefs and the motives behind it. You know, unless we're too hard on the Israelites, which I often am. Let us recall a verse that we've studied not too long ago, 1 Corinthians 10. With most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Later it says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the story. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Therefore let everyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Notice in, this, in that passage, Paul says not only two things, these things, this psalm, this public confession was written so that we might not do what they did, But also, it says that we might not desire evil. Who God is, who we are, and finally, who God is again. As we've talked in the past, how empty it would be if it just ended there. Thank God he's good. His love endures forever. We are incredible sinners. Thanks for coming. Have a great Sunday. Turn with me to verse 44. There are words I often find when I study Scripture that just really stand out and draw my heart to Him. And this one, verse 44, nevertheless, that is the source of our thankfulness right there. We are all this way. We sin, we have idols, we have forgotten what he's done. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to his abundance of his steadfast love. He looked upon our distress despite the fact that we don't look to him. He heard our cry even when we don't cry. He remembered his covenant when we have broken his covenant and forgot it. He relented when we continue to relent the other way. Nehemiah 9, 31 says the same thing. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. That is why we thank. Now, the contrasts in Scripture are amazing, and we should rejoice in them. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5 And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience, among whom we all were once, lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and the nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But, God, nevertheless, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us even when we were dead, made us alive in Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 17. The old has passed away, implied, but the new has come. Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Second Timothy 2.18 kind of shows this. It is, God is still faithful, even when we are faithless because he cannot disown himself. Thank you, Lord. Titus chapter 3. For those of you in discipleship groups will be studying this next December. For we ourselves were once foolish and lived this way. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us. Thank you, Lord. The contrast of what we deserved and what God has done despite that, in spite of that. Nevertheless, Psalm 105, we should thank God for what he has done indeed. Indeed. And we should thank God in Psalm 107 for the fact that we are redeemed. In Psalm 106, we need to thank God that he is faithful to a very unfaithful people. The psalm doesn't end there. Verse 46, after that statement of nevertheless, it says, He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. God is worthy and he is faithful and he deserves thanks, regardless of whether or not we are removed from the circumstances of our sin. He didn't pull them out in this psalm, he caused them to be pitied while they were still captive. His grace was extended, he is still worthy to be thanked and he is faithful when we are faithless and when we continue in the consequences of our faithlessness verse 47 save us o lord our god and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory and your praise again that verse there is why some people think this is a sometime after babylonian captivity would bring your people back yet that that verse, verse 47, is exactly repeated word for word by David in 1 Chronicles 16. What I find interesting about this is save us, O Lord, and gather us from among the nations. Why? So we can all be back together as one people? Probably. So we can all be a people of His choosing in the midst of a world of that's not following him? Probably. So they can encourage one another? Probably. So they can be prosperous and work alongside and be one people, his chosen people? Probably. But what does it say? He gathered them among, save us, O Lord, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise so as we look at why we should be thankful I find in confession in church I find it so much easier for me to thank God for what he's done I actually find it very difficult to be thankful I find it much easier to be thankful to people than it I am to God. And I was challenged by this, these three Psalms, specifically 106, to be thankful to the Lord because he's faithful when I'm not. I was just thinking, reflecting upon, as we were singing, blessed be the name of the Lord, when the sun's shining down on all it should be, thank you, Lord. Thank him when it's not. Well, some of the reasons why it's not may be because he's also orchestrated that, but some of the reasons why it may not be is because I have chosen not to follow him. But yet he has not left me, he has not forsaken me. His love is steadfast and never ending. So, what? Now, what? What should we do about this? So, first, I have to ask if there's anybody here at our church, and in the reach of my voice, if you have not grasped this incredible contrast of the way that you were dead in your sin, but God raised you to life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lived the perfect life, died the only required death, rose from the dead that we may be free, forgiven, and reconciled to him. If you have not done that, I urge you, I implore you, be reconciled to God. If you have any questions, please come talk to me or one of the elders or any one of the leaders here. We'd love to share. There's a reason to be thankful, not just for the good things, but God is faithful when we are faithless. For the rest of us, We know these things. This is nothing new to us. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for me to thank the Lord? Well, I pray that today that his word would challenge all of us to be grateful for what he has done, grateful for the fact that he has not forsaken us, and grateful that he has redeemed us. And one day we will be with him. We are undeserving of that. I'm so thankful and grateful that he did that. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. Praise the Lord, as your psalm says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, Father, for you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Father, we can't comprehend that in truth. Lord, I thank you for your word that penetrates our hearts and instructs us and teaches us, challenges us, encourages us. I pray that we here today would grow in our ability, our purposefulness, our intentionality. Lord, of giving you thanks. You are worthy. We are unworthy. Yet you have chosen through your son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to save us. Father, the words thank you come out so quick. So God, we pray that you would change us in this way. Father, we long to be a church that honors you and to be grateful. We thank you for today. We thank you for being able to gather. And I pray that you would continue to change our hearts, Lord, all for your glory and for your sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But please stand with me as I read the benediction, which comes from 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word.